0: In 1962, Bobby Vinton had a hit with a song, Mr. Lonely. One of the lines reads, I've been forgotten. Yeah, forgotten. Oh, how I wonder. How is it I failed? You may not think about loneliness being a serious mental health issue, but it is. It's also a serious physical issue health issue. Studies undertaken by the U.S. Surgeon General suggest loneliness has the same impact on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Since our early times here on Earth, humankind has been a social animal, not just for companionship, but actually out of critical need. We need these connections almost as much as we need food and shelter. Ironically, when it comes to loneliness, You're not alone. Many studies have revealed that almost half the population reports chronic loneliness. And it's not without consequence. It can easily create or worsen depression. This further increases chance of heart disease, addiction. It makes a person much more prone to inflammation throughout the body. It's even been linked with some cancer cells. It's the mental health issue that hides in plain sight. Even about 60 years ago, Bobby Vinton's words, how is it I failed, speak to a stigma we put on ourselves that deepens this divide. But there is hope, and you can change things. Lonely, in a crowded world, right now on the Mental Health Podcast. I'm Kevin Frankish and uh, Loretta Karikari joins me, a social worker at Ontario Shore Centre for Mental Health Sciences. Hi, Loretta.
1: Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
0: It, it's really hard to to think of loneliness as something we should be concerned about as a mental health issue?
1: Mm -hmm. It certainly is hard to think about it because we often, it's hard to quantify what does loneliness mean? And for some people, it can mean many different things. During COVID, we hear socially isolate yourself, have your own bubbles. And we're thinking, what does that mean um, to have your own social bubble? What is really a social life? And I think at that point is when we really started to understand what loneliness means because we started to see how we were actually physically alone if you're living alone and feeling that sense of loneliness and then we started to see what it means to be socially connected and still feel alone so I think at that point we started to feel that deep sense of people who are actually experiencing loneliness even though they had that social bubble or social connection with others
0: now we're gonna get into what's happening up in that brain of ours during this and what impact it's having on us. But very first thing I want to know, when do you know loneliness is a problem or is just an inconvenience at the time?
1: There are many, um, cues or signals that we may get from either people around us. So we have individuals who would physically isolate themselves. So let's say they already have a mental health issue and then they would decide that, you know, I'm really going through this and I'm just going to keep away from people. So they already have that social group, they're just going to keep away from people. And when that happens to me, that is a signal that your coping mechanisms are already failing you. because if that's what you're choosing to resort to um, and then there are those of us who either have a partner have children they live in a let's say a big family and they still feel that deep sense of loneliness and because it can be really hard to explain to people because maybe there are people who are really social they know a lot of friends and if you say gee I'm really feeling lonely someone might say really you know so many people and so it could be really hard to convince. Convince people per se and you shouldn't have to convince people but there are certain cues that can give us and when we resort to physically isolating ourselves to feel lonely or those feelings come up it's really a sign that there are certain things that we're doing coping with managing that whatever it is we're doing they are really starting to fail us and not working for us anymore
0: so we're sitting uh, you know with our loneliness mm mm-hmm. um, what physically is happening
1: inside of us there are many different changes that are happening with us let's take it from the top up from our brain for example um, we know that th- we know the gift of neuroplasticity um, and neuroplasticity is really just a big word for saying that the brain is able to rewire itself so when we are continuously feeling lonely having these feelings because there can be a feeling and it can also be an actual Thing in the sense that you're actually lonely, like you live by yourself lonely. And it could be a feeling in a construct of um, you have those people around you, you have that interaction, you're married, you have a partner and you still feel that deep sense of loneliness you're at a table with dinner laughing with people that you think gee I should really be having fun but you're having that deep sense of loneliness and it could really alter the brain in how it looks at relationships um, how it builds relationship and how it would initiate that cue for you to really interact to trust people and that could really have an impact on you it could be a risk factor for many mental health disorders and if you already have a mental health issue you let's say depression or anxiety um, it could really then bring you to a state where you could be really vulnerable and really not doing well
0: can it cause depression
1: Oh, certainly. It's definitely a risk factor for depression and not just depression, but even cognitive issues. So being a social worker that worked with a geriatric population, we noticed that during COVID, a lot more people cognitively really declined. So it could be a risk factor for depression, um, but then also other physical health issues, um, cancer. Um, high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, and sometimes when you are lonely, let's say physically living by yourself, you may be engaging in a lot more risky behavior. Um, let's say you're not eating well, you're using other coping mechanisms, so you're turning into other risky behaviors that you probably try to stay away from or you normally wouldn't. So then that will then place you to be vulnerable for further decompensated more than you would be aware of or you want to be.
0: Is there such a thing as a person who wants to be alone and that's okay?
1: Certainly is. I like to call myself a homebody. (laughs) I like to be in my house um, and I normally don't really like to go out much unless I'm invited, Um, but there are people that would really choose to seclude themselves. But is that okay? To a certain extent, Um, you will hear people say, I'm an extrovert, I'm an an introvert, and using those words interchangeably. And these are not necessarily they could be characteristics, but they're not necessarily um, something that is a temperament or really define us. They're choices that we make. Um, same way you can go into a certain setting and someone would decide, I want to meet everyone and I'm just going to go out and say hi to people. And then there's someone that says, I'm really going to hide in this corner and just hope nobody noticed me. And to a certain extent, yes, maybe there. Are, um, you need that. Maybe it's your coping mechanism let's say for example you get into a really bad argument with your partner and you say you know when I get mad I'm I'm, I could be quite lethal I say things that I really regret so I am going to then um, keep to myself until I feel like I have calmed down and then I could really engage. Um, that is different from someone who would say that, okay, I'm gonna to go to work and then after work, I'm just gonna go home, I'm gonna close my door and I don't wanna to talk to anyone or see anyone. Um, recognizing when you were doing that to decompress, to really, for example, I work in a mental health hospital. There's many experiences you will come across. And whenever I'm, I get home, and my kids know I knew I do this now, I would park in front of my driveway and I would stay there for about 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes because I just feel like I need that time alone to just kind of decompress, mm-hmm. to just kind of, release some of the heaviness that sometimes we go through when we're helping with people, which is different from me walking in, seeing my kids, just looking past them, going straight upstairs and just closing my room and not interacting with them. So I'm making a conscious decision to be alone. And in those moments, I may never see it. And sometimes with loneliness, it's not us who are choosing to be have that experience, that is lonely. That is when I made choosing in the sense that we're making that decision that I am gonna go into a space and I'm going to then remove myself from others. Because sometimes you can't help it. But sometimes we make that conscious decision. And it's those around us who would often see it. That okay, I think you are um, that's when let's say you're a teenager, your mom will knock on the door. Why don't you want to talk to us? Why do you keep leaving us? Um, everybody's here. Why are you why are you alone? And you're thinking, I'm just fine, everybody leave me alone. And in those times I think in this a person is at a point where they're really suffering. And they're really going through it. And the only way they can really cope with that by just shunning themselves from the world. And they have reached a point where they need help the most. But because we haven't recognized loneliness as such a big health problem, we might think it's just a bad behavior that somebody's exhibiting. Just a teenager. Just a teenager. teenager. Just hiding the self away in your room and just closing the door. Um, Because even if you work in an office area and one of your colleagues always keep the door open and they close it one day for a couple hours, you're thinking, gee, what are they doing in there? why are they closing their door are they too good to talk to (laughs) us today um we may never think okay maybe they need a moment um and i'm just going to give them that because sometimes you do need that so
0: you're a parent and you've got how do you know that this is a problem and how do you know when yes this is normal teenage activity
1: we ideally all know our children and um, we know how they cope and how they are and everything. Um, we want to be able to ask them direct questions because sometimes we dance around it. Go in and you're saying, are you okay? Mm-hmm. They might say, yeah. And then if somebody asks you what is wrong, um, our natural response be like nothing. Nothing, yeah. Um, what's your problem? <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, it, it's a defense um, because they don't wanna bring it down to really share. So something you wanna share a fact with your observation. So your observation is that you would notice that they will come from school, walk through the room, close the door. So that's your observation. The fact is that you have seen this happen for daily for like, let's say two weeks. So I have noticed when you come home from school, you will go upstairs and close your door. I've noticed this happen in two weeks. So you share that. You leave that to them to confirm that because you're you want to kind of kind of play them a little bit. Because I, I could be wrong, but I'm seeing this happening because you want to see how they're interpreting it. They could say, you know, I'm really tired. I wake up early, and then when I come, I just want to nap for like two hours and not talk to anybody. Or they can give you an answer that can let you know that, you know what, I am actually going through some things. And then that's when we want to attend to people. Um, You want to meet them. You don't want to fight them right you want to meet people where they are because sometimes I demand you tell me I'm your mother I deserve to know what is happening in your life and um, we deserve it we wanted but we don't always get it but you want to meet them so sharing your observation give an example of how you've seen that happen so you talk about your observation of seeing them going to your room you've given them an example of how long you have been seeing that happening because if this is happening one time is it enough to say this is a problem but if you have noticed been happening for a week for two weeks then you want to share with them that I think that um, I, I could be wrong but I'm not sure if this is the best best thing is there any way we can talk about it because the goal is to not tell people they have a problem because they might not believe you um, or I mean, some I'm defensive yes yeah. um, you want them to help you want them to see if there's a problem, that I'm, I'm seeing this. Am I the only one that see it? Because sometimes maybe we're seeing things and not there, but we want to verify. And it's a technique even we use in counseling where you want to paraphrase. You want to um, state back, I'm hearing you say this. Is that what I'm hearing? They could be like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Or, yes, they are hearing right. This is what I'm saying. And sometimes when they say it back to themselves, it's a confirmation for them, it's like, gee, this is what's happening this is how i'm feeling this is how i'm behaving
0: now we're always assuming it's the teen it's the you know it's the child but mom and dad can be lonely as well certainly within the relationship within the family within a busy family mm-hmm. they you know, being busy does not necessarily cure loneliness
1: no not at all i read somewhere actually sometime this week which said um There are a lot of married single mothers out there. And, um, And it showed, it was actually a video, a meme on social media where there's a family at dinner in a restaurant and there some is um, two young kids and about an older one, let's say about 10, the older one is feeding themselves. And then the younger kids are just all over mom. Mom is trying to feed them. Mom is trying to feed herself. And then dad is over at the other side, just eating and enjoying his meal and just really looks like he's having fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the mother just looks like she's just drowning with them. And so imagine how lonely she can feel as a mother, or how lonely she may feel in her marriage, Mm -hmm. even though she's married. And that could assume, based on just that picture and that quote, that feeling could be resulting from maybe the lack of partnership, or maybe the lack of help that she's not getting. Um, In a situation like that, can we assume and conclude that if the help or partnership is there, that may result in her not feeling so lonely?
0: Now let's talk about something that that we blame for a lot of things, and that's social media. Yeah. And loneliness is one of the things that could be the result of social media. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that.
1: Well, loneliness is in the social media context can be, it goes back to earlier when I talked about during COVID time, when we said socially connect to people, but physically isolate from them. And what do we say social, um, physical distancing or social distancing, have your bubble. Um, In social media, it's really a numbers game who have the most likes, um, the most following, and we live in a generation where right now content creation is a job. So people are really basing their livelihood on really their numbers, growth, and all those things. So imagine, let's say, let's use a content creator, for example, who has a really large following. Um, and let's say they're traveling with brands to do things, you would assume that that would really equate to how really social they are. But um, I really watch a lot of videos of um, social media content creators who will say, I have social anxiety. Um, and some, And I would really take my time to look at it and to see um, is there, because sometimes things are thrown around as a click but I would really watch it to see I'm like wow really they really you would have never thought because they're in front of the camera they're talking they're doing things but in social media there is a very picturesque view that people post right oh how
0: wonderful your hair always is oh right wake (laughs) up in the
1: morning I we over the summer we went to Europe and I posted all these pictures with the kids and what was not posted was how I had to beg them five times to take this picture or the picture that didn't make it when they were not smiling and we had to take it three, four times so I can get the picture that I want to finally post it. But maybe somebody might see them like, wow, look at her kids just smiling and taking pictures. And my kids are probably not doing that. And you can just live in the social media bubble and you could really lose sense of reality and that could be very isolated. And once that starts to feel isolating, it gives you the feelings of loneliness if you feel like somebody has something that you don't have. Because to f- when you're starting to feel loneliness, it starts with an isolation. And it could be physical or it can also be a construct. So physical in the sense that maybe you're watching the scene, the social media, then you go to your room or you start to feel the isolation that, oh, maybe this person really looked like this, and you're being like this. And it's so isolating for me not to look this way or be this way. And then the feeling of loneliness starts to arise. Then it starts to manifest. And it can be really hard to see what social media portray versus what people actually lives are, which is what they're not showing on social media. But there's a lot more younger people that are now on social media so there are people who are already growing they are trying to navigate life and experiences who already haven't developed the skills that they need to cope with what is being presented to them and they're then essentially trying to navigate this social media world on their own compared to even an adult let's say my age I'm in my late 30s so you would assume I have life experience I have some wisdom to be able to navigate some of these nuances but there are times where I'll look at certain things and I'm like gee I'm I'm on a personal weight loss journey Um, not personal but (laughs) I'm on a weight loss journey but I will see some people post their before and after and people that I would have started my journey I'm like wow you're doing so well and I've been at, I'm I'm at the same stage and I haven't lost half of that and I'll be really down on myself and if I did not have some of these coping mechanisms that I have developed I would really start to feel really isolated and then I'll really start to feel I lonely then that could put me in a depressive mood and then next thing you know I'm going on a spiral so imagine let's say someone who's younger who hasn't navigated these terrains before? Who haven't had the life experience to know that? Um, oh, maybe um, weight loss takes time, and everybody's body is different, and maybe you that you need to put in more work, and um, and and even that sounds bad, put in more work, because maybe you're doing your very best, but learning to talk to yourself and have those conversations, because it takes self awareness. To be somewhere where you realize that, okay, this is impacting me a way that I really don't like. What can I do about that? Can you share one of your coping mechanisms with me? Sure, certainly. So it's a CBT, which is short for cognitive behavior therapy. And it's somewhere where you challenge your thoughts, right? So um, you challenge your thoughts. So let's say a thought that you will have is maybe um, I'm not good enough. So, and we know that thoughts are not facts. So, if thoughts are not facts, what are they? They're ideas that come in our head for various different things. I'm not good enough. So, you can change that to even using a simple affirmation I'm not good at everything, but I'm good at something. Because we can't be good at everything. So that could just be a simple one. Or another one is challenging it. How do I know I'm not good enough? There are A, B, C, D things that I have done that I am good at. Maybe... Sometimes we're not able to list things that we have done well. Then that is an opportunity to give ourselves a goal. That, you know what, I've been really wanting to do this and I've been putting it off. I'm going to try to meet that goal. Because then at least you're giving yourself that something of something that you think you're good at. Um, Something as simple as creating boundaries. When I see a particular content on social media that I find triggering, On social media, you can click not interested and it would show less of those things. So even put in something like that, that if I see these, if I see somebody who has really lost weight, I find it triggering. So I'm going to say to myself that I'm, I'm going to click not interested. So I'm not seeing those frequently and then it would not trigger me. So that's a boundary that Mm -hmm. I would set for myself.
0: You're talking about taking control,
1: taking control. Because boundaries, to my, in my opinion, is how we choose to show up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are the only ones that can show up for ourselves. And when you take control, you are then changing the narrative for yourself. So instead of saying that, they're, they think I'm not good enough or nobody likes me, while well, some people like me. I have people in my life that like me. Um, there are things that I am good at. So using those I messages and taking it for yourselves and sometimes just really giving yourself that extra help that you need, because maybe there are things that you have been doing for yourselves, telling yourself that it's not working. So maybe it might require you to take that extra help of maybe I need that additional support from what I have been given myself to really help me with some of the things that I'm going through.
0: I can tell you from personal experience a few years ago, I, I made the conscious choice to stop being mean to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you dropped your cup right now. I would say, oh, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, we'll clean that up. We'll clean mm-hmm. that up. Don't worry, don't worry. But inside you might be saying to yourself, oh, stupid, stupid, stupid Lord, why did you do that? You wouldn't say that to me and I wouldn't say it out loud to you. So mm-hmm. why are you saying it to yourself? So yeah. I made a conscious decision to, to actually talk nicer to myself and to be thankful for things. And it doesn't happen right away. No. And so <laughs> unfortunately you do it and you say, oh, I didn't work. It's what's in your brain. I mean, you're you're rewiring your brain. Something
1: is happening. And gratitude is actually one of the best ways to really um, help your brain, Um, because when you are being and I love that when you say being nice to yourself, because we say a lot of mean things to ourselves. Um, and I heard that from my, my oldest, the other day, um, he had a game, he plays soccer competitively and he gets there with no shin. He's like, how dumb can I be? Yeah. And I'm like, why would you say that?
0: Because you wouldn't say that to him. no. <laughs> you know what are you dumb
1: no no you wouldn't say that no so we say it to ourselves? and I was like why would you why would you say that he's like I forgot my shit obviously I know I'm like it happens yeah. and he's very forgetful so I do keep extra stuff in my car I'm like I have extra <laughs> shit cards because I know that he yeah. forgets things a lot no matter how much time but we and we wouldn't even do it to others like let's say somebody comes to work and be like oh my goodness I can't believe I forgot this you're like oh it's okay i um, set a reminder tomorrow maybe it's tomorrow you remember. And you you will be trying to comfort them, but then when it's, cause you're not gonna tell them, oh, how dumb can you be to forget that? We've been talking about yeah. that for, I we talked about this this morning. How could you forget? But when it come to us, it's like, oh dumb, I, I'm just so this, I'm just so that. But gratitude, just being grateful. Um, but in order to be grateful, you have to learn to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because if you live for the future, that um, there's uh, something about um, beware of destination addiction, that you will be something when you're somewhere. So imagine if I'm always telling myself that I will be happier when I lose weight, then I will never be happy now. Um, or if we tell ourselves that, oh, if I get this, I'll be happier. If I get married, I'll be happier. If I have kids, I'll be happier. If I get into this relationship, I'll be happier. Um, so then what happens now? What happens in the meantime? Yeah. Or what happens when you get there and you're not happy?
0: What do you call it? Destination addiction. Destination addiction.
1: Because we then be addicted to being somewhere, somewhere else, in order, or not. In order for us to right. be where we can simply be in the now. And it's a saying that we use a lot in the counseling social work field of um, being in the here and now, um, because that's where we can only be now. The here and now. We don't know what can happen tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. But if or you yeah, are, if there will be a tomorrow. You don't know. Yeah. So if you become so focused on being when you get to somewhere else, then you would never be happy in the now. And why should you deprive yourself of just being um, in the now?
0: You will come back. I'd love to have you back. Thank Uh, you. Fascinating. Thank you. Uh, Loretta Karikari is a social worker at Ontario Shore Centre for Mental Health Sciences. And still to come, it's our coping segment. But when we come back next, a loneliness life coach joins me with his six-step plan that could change your life. Mm an alarming rise in the number of adolescents being diagnosed with an eating disorder in Canada according to a new report published in the Journal of the American up Medical
1: 60% <laughs> compared with pre-pandemic with hospitalizations of mainly young women up just as much since 2020
0: It may surprise you to learn that eating disorders account for the highest death rate of any mental illness with suicide as a major outcome, and its victims are mainly teens and young adults. Don't struggle alone. See your doctor and ask them about the eating disorders program at Ontario Shores. We have a highly trained and empathic team ready to help you get your life back. We welcome family members to be part of your treatment and even have access to teachers so you can continue your education while recovering. For more information, go to OntarioShores.ca. Well, welcome back to the Mental Health Podcast. The topic in this episode, the mental and physical health impacts of loneliness. Michael Diorio is a life coach who specializes in helping people overcome and change things in their lives. And he joins me right now. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to be here. Well, let's get people comfortable first with who you are and what you do and how a life coach can actually help people overcome loneliness.
2: Yeah. So I'm a life coach. I deal mainly with uh, relationships, self-confidence, and sexuality. Uh, I myself am gay. part of the LGBT community. And um, I work with a lot of people on developing that kind of confidence and sense of self and security that allows them then to go out and connect with others. And loneliness is a big problem, as I'm sure you've talked about in this podcast, and especially with uh, members of minority populations, such as the LGBTQ community. So I've dealt with it extensively myself, uh, even though I am out and I live in a big city, I feel lonely often. It's, it's quite common. And what I help people with is really two things. One, the internal work of the mindset work and emotional work of how to be more of who you are, authenticity, because connection only works if you're being yourself. It's going to be fake if, if you're trying to be somebody else. And then the second piece of it is the practical, tangible action steps to go out there and connect with other people.
0: And when it comes to those feelings of isolation, loneliness, there can be a
2: whole bunch of reasons. You're right, Kevin. It's anyone who feels othered. Right in my wow. in my personal experience, it happens to be the, the gay thing, but you can feel othered in many, many different ways. Um, and so as soon as you kind of feel like you are already out of the the, the main population in one way or another, um, already it's it's a higher higher hill to climb to to belong to feel like you're part of it, right? I like that term othered. Tell me about that. Othered basically, you know in in the simplest terms, here's the group of people and the mainstream, if you will, and here's me on the outside of it, not part of it. I am othered. Um, and there's lots of ways we do that. And we do that to each other as well, especially in this very divisive world we're living in now. Us, them, you know, you know left, right, these people, those people. It, it's it's very easy to other each other. Um, and it makes us feel more isolated. So what do you do? What hope can we give people that uh, loneliness can actually be overcome? Yeah. So what I like to tell myself is that loneliness is is natural. It's we are a social species. We are here to to connect with each other. That is part of our DNA, hardwired to connect. And so when we feel lonely, it's just our our body and our brain's way of saying, Hey, you're lacking some social or you're lacking some connection right now, some genuine connection right now. Just as when you're hungry your body tells you, oh, I need food. And when you're thirsty, your body's telling you it needs hydration when you're feeling lonely. It's just a signal saying, okay, hey, go do something about this. And the good news is the hope is you can do something about this. This is not a forever thing.
0: Now, there's a lot of things that we can do on our own or with you, Uh, a coach, when it comes to overcoming some mental health issues like loneliness, but there are other times we need professional help. How do we know when we're at that line?
2: yeah so that tends to happen when you know they are showing signs where they might be more unwilling to take action or there's something inhibiting them from taking action something more severe going on Um, and in that case that would be outside of a coach's realm and that would be something where they would want to see a mental health professional to get a diagnosis and perhaps some treatment on that realm what i would do as a coach is help them more with kind of the mindset around the action piece and the solutions
0: now as a coach you've come up with a six-step plan to help defeat loneliness
2: yeah so i developed this because i've helped a lot of people uh, in developing connections and regardless of whether you're gay or straight you know male female where you live in the world these are kind of universal steps that you can apply um and i can go through them with you if you want yes yeah please all right step number one assume responsibility okay so what I mean by this is no matter what's been done to you in the past, no matter how, how you face rejection, the loneliness that you're experiencing is yours and it's your responsibility to do something with it, right? And that doesn't mean that you go at it alone. It means like you could absolutely, and I highly encourage people to, to seek help, to talk to people about it and to, again, destigmatize it. But at the end of the day, it is your loneliness to deal with. And so you have to take the responsibility to do something about it. You can't just sit there and it's not going to magically go away.
0: Oh, for sure. And the tendency is, okay, why, Michael, why is two. the world doing
2: this to poor old me? And that's a really good place to start, and assuming that responsibility. Yeah, because you can't do something about it if you're not going to own it, right? And again, it's not to say that that you haven't been victimized. A lot of us have. We've been rejected. We've been bullied. That, that's, we, that's all true. We have been victimized by this world. We have been othered in many ways but that's still your responsibility to and then say okay well what are you going to do with what are you going to do with it what are you going to do about it now okay michael step 2 okay so step 2 is to get clear right so it's one thing to say yes i want connection and i need connection but what kind what are you looking for exactly and there's a lot of power and i tell my clients to literally write this down or put this in their notes on their computer but literally take it from up here and start putting it somewhere where it's real and tangible. So a question, I have some questions that I that I like to ask. What exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for one friend that you just really want to lean on? Are you looking for a group of maybe three or four people? Are you wanting to be part of a larger community, like uh, perhaps an organization or something? Is it all of the above, right? So get clear on what we're talking about when you're saying, I'm longing for a connection or I want connection. Is it around activities. Do you want to connect over doing something? Or do you want to connect over sitting over a cup of coffee or tea and talking? There's lots of different ways we can get this connection. So I ask them to just visualize it. I say, okay, when you imagine yourself connecting with people, what are you doing? How many people are there? Where are you? What are you talking about? Yeah, interesting. We we don't want
0: to be lonely. So what are you going to do about it? You can't move until you have a direction to move in.
2: Exactly. It's like a GPS on a road trip. You got to put in the the location you're going to first before you start finding out the direction to go there. Mm. And with coaching, it is a lot about that action and that movement forward. So I need to know if I'm going to help you. I need to know where we're going. What do you want? And of course, be honest with yourself, right? If you if you don't want to join a, a sports club, then don't, don't say yes. that. Say, you know what? I'm really not into that. I'm more so like a bookish guy, maybe a book club, maybe a one-on-one chat, maybe a, a trivia night. Those are kinds of things.
0: Well, I can promise you I I don't want to defeat loneliness by joining a gym. I'll try something else. All right, next, let's go to step three.
2: All right, step three is looking at your social inventory. So this is when we look at your existing social circle, the people in your social circle, and even the periphery who may already be there that you've discounted, forgotten about, maybe people that you have, you know, had a connection with in the past, but over the years, you've just lost touch, which happens in adulthood with everybody. And especially, Kevin, I will say with COVID, people's social circles really shrunk quite a bit. And after that, they really didn't expand for a lot of people. We didn't really go back and say, oh, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen you since COVID. We heard that a lot. Oh, I haven't seen you since COVID. So step three is really about looking at what's already there. Um, you might want to call it the low-hanging fruit, but we tend to discount the fact that people are already in our social, social circle they've maybe been dormant or a little bit latent. Yeah,
0: all the gang at work go out, say, on Thursday night for a, a drink, and you choose um, not to be a part of that at the time.
2: Yeah, so a question that, I, that I'll have them answer is, who have I lost touch with that would be nice to reconnect with again? And then another one that I love, thinking back to what we answered in number two, uh, who do I know in my life that may, may be willing to do this with me? All right. Step number four. Okay. Number four is when we start to do some research. So I will say dedicate one hour at least, doesn't sound like a lot of time and it's really not, to just going onto the Googles. And this is where the internet and social media can actually help us out because sometimes it's it's a, a deterrent for connection or it's pseudo connection, but it can be very, very helpful. So this is where we get to the brainstorming and research. So looking at um, what kinds of Groups there are that are already in existence. So thinking again about the things you want to do, um, what are the local clubs in your neighborhood or in your city? Are there any sports leagues if you're into sports? Are there any classes or lessons that you want to take? Is there, if you're into community theater, what's going on there? Um, using things like Facebook events, Facebook groups, um, sites such as meetup.com can be very helpful. You just put in the either the location or your interest and it'll shoot out different groups and events for you. Um, So take to Google, take to the internet and start researching. Honestly, Kevin, if you did this for probably like 10 minutes, light bulbs and ideas would start going off. Like, oh, I didn't know that existed. Oh, that's such a great idea. And we just have to give ourselves space and time to ask the question, okay, where can I meet this need? And step number five. Engage, number five is engage. And this one's a scary one for a lot of people because this is where the rubber hits the road. So yes, do all the research, find some clubs, find some w- whatever it is that that suits suits you, and then go, <laughs> attend, get up off the couch, get your shoes on and go. Now, if you're in an online community, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with with participating in online communities, but just make sure that you are engaging and having discussions. And then if there's someone who's local, then take that online connection offline and say, hey, why don't we meet up sometime? Now for in-person connections, there's sub I have sub steps here with engaging, right? Um, I will usually tell someone to commit to one event per week um, if that suits their schedule, but it's very depends on their schedule and whatnot. If if it's not one per week, it's one every two or once a month. But in either way, when you are attending an event, it's not enough to just go and stand there with your eyes on your phone the entire time, right? That's not that's not helpful. So it's about initiating. Uh, when you're in these spaces, making eye contact, smiling, saying hello. I know people hate small talk. I'm an introvert. I get it. I hate small talk too. But small talk is the beginning of anything. Hey, hi, nice to meet you. What, what brings you to this event? So on and so forth. This is what builds rapport. And it actually also builds a bit of confidence for you to say, oh, hey, I, I can do this. I got the hang of this. I, I know how to do this. And it builds further connection.
0: Yeah. And we forget that that one person we may be talking to might have the same fears and anxieties that we do. Absolutely. <laughs> So we have step one, assume responsibility. Step two, get clear. Three, take your social inventory. Step four, research. Step five, engage. And now here it is,
2: step number six. Okay, is to reflect. So after you've gone to this event and you've engaged and talked to people uh, and nurtured those connections then it's nice to reflect and do this afterwards alone or if you have someone in your life maybe a a friend a a family member a coach a therapist counselor what have you uh, reflect on this and here's the questions I have clients answer in that event what went well what didn't go so well and what would I do differently next time so don't give up is what you're saying Persistence. Yeah, you don't just go once and expect to find your new best friend. <laughs> you got <Yeah. laughs> to keep it up. And, and going back to that, it's even even persisting in once you do meet people, if you meet someone, to nurture that connection. Talk to them. Say, hey, this was really nice. You know, uh, I'd love to connect with you again sometime. Um, not just going and then leaving and saying, oh, that didn't work. I guess I'm just going to be lonely forever. You don't want to give up. You want to keep trying.
0: Well, let's talk about step number five. As you said, that's the scariest step.
2: Yeah, so... I'll tell you what it is at the core for most people um, is a fear of rejection. Yes. And it's the fear that if I put myself out there, I'm putting myself at risk for the very thing that I most fear, which is rejection. It's so much easier to stay home and not put myself in harm's way. I'm using air quotes harm's way of that, of that feeling of rejection. So what that is, is people saying, well, I don't want to go out there because what if nobody likes me? Or sometimes what if I don't connect with anybody? What if I do all this and it just leads me in the same, if I'm in the same place? To which I say, you will have to risk rejection to gain connection.
0: Oh, I'm writing that one down. You have to risk rejection to gain connection.
2: Yeah. You could use the same mentality if you're dating. You don't just go on one date. And if it doesn't work out say well that's it <laughs> i'm gonna be single forever you go again you try again you meet somebody else you, you you do something different right um and it's the same mentality you you i know it's scary and i'm never gonna downplay that and it, i'm never gonna say that it's not gonna happen because absolutely it does happen people go to events or or join a club and it just doesn't it, it's not a fit that doesn't mean you quit it means you try again that's why i love that sixth step which is what didn't go so well, and what am I going to do differently next time? It always implies there's a next time. This is like you're running a business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you had a leak in your sink and and the plumber couldn't fix it, would you say, oh, I guess that's it. I'm just going to deal with the leaky sink for my whole life? No.
0: Well, it's like anything. You got to put in the work.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and what I love about this is that you know it kind of takes all of the—I call it mind drama or mind noise—out of it. And we're just looking at the core. Okay, what's the core issue here? And and for every issue, there's a solution. There's multiple solutions, really. So if we look at it from that perspective, I'm just solving a problem, taking out all of the all emotion out of it. Then it's just a matter of okay, let's just focus on the problem at hand. How long have you been doing this? Uh, it, with life coaching, it's been three years, but before this, I was a, in the corporate world and I was a, a leader, a su- supervisor, manager, yeah. and I did coaching in the corporate sense. Yeah.
0: And the reason I ask you for how long you've been doing this is, are things getting worse?
2: It's hard to say. I mean, it would be subjective. Um, objectively, I, I can't answer that. I'm sure there are studies that do look at that. But I think COVID has absolutely made it worse in a sense because options to connect were taken away. And then I think a lot of people just got used to that. They just settled into that. And then reconnecting eh, for a lot of people seems scary. And it's like, well, I just got used to this, this over here. Um, and another thing that I think has not helped is social media. And while I'm not knocking it because it absolutely can be a great tool for connection, I don't think we're using it that way a lot of the time. I think we're using it as a means of disconnection. Mm-hmm. For example, I see Kevin Frankish on Instagram and look, he's living this great life. He's got all these people and all this wonderful thing going on. And, oh, here I am sitting alone by myself, scrolling on my Instagram all by myself. And it tells, it, it's easy to tell the story, oh, everyone else is having a great life and I'm, and I'm not.
0: Well, thank you so much for this, Michael. Michael Diorio is a life coach specializing in getting over loneliness. You can check him out at uh, wellismo.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-S-I-M-O.com. Okay, thank you so much, Kevin. Coming up next, it's our coping segment.
1: I wish I would have known. I would have done something.
0: But he seemed fine.
1: Do you know what you should do? Do you even step in? Mental Health First Aid teaches everyday people how to recognize and respond to someone experiencing an issue with their mental health. Mental Health First Aid is life-changing from recognizing early warning signs and learning how to truly listen to supporting someone in seeking the help they need. Ontario Shore Center for Mental Health Sciences offers Mental Health First Aid courses for individuals or groups. Whether it's for home or the workplace, we give you the first aid kit you need to be there for someone. Find out more or register for an upcoming course at ontarioshores.ca slash mentalhealthfirstaid. Don't be left saying, I wish I could have done something.
2: Hey, I'm here for you. Do you want to talk?
0: Welcome back. And this is the coping segment on the Mental Health Podcast. Some quick practical tips that you can use to reduce your anxieties and your stress. When it comes to loneliness, uh, we already heard about Michael's six-step plan. But there's also a very simple thing you can do that would have a huge impact. Think about the strangers you see every day at the bus stop, in the hallways, in an elevator, just walking past you on the street. You see them every day. You don't engage with them, but you're very familiar with each other. They're most likely familiar with you as well. So here's what you do. Next time a stranger comes by you, especially one that you see all the time, just say, hi, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it may shock them or they may just, oh, I'm all right, and, they, and and move on. But I think the chances are they'll be pleasant back to you. Maybe they're lonely as well. Who knows? But what you're starting to do is rewire your brain towards being more outgoing, reaching out. Who knows? You might even be helping that other person as well. So it's simple, quick, and you can practice it several times a day. You can start today, tomorrow. Just find that person and just say, hi, hey, nice weather. It may seem like small talk, but it's a step in the right direction. You might be surprised, as I said, by the results. Next time on the Mental Health Podcast, let's talk about medication. I know I'm, I resisted medication in the beginning for my depression. I didn't want to do anything with drugs controlling my mood, but I'm glad I gave in. What works for you? What doesn't? What about the side effects? We'll also talk about vitamins, supplements, even the foods that may help you as well. Mental health and medication. Finding a balance next time on the Mental Health Podcast. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm Kevin Frankish from the Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Mental Health Podcast. If you have any thoughts about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, please send me an email at Podcast at ontarioshores.ca. Please don't be alone. Reach out for professional help. For more resources and advice, check out our website, ontarioshores.ca. The Mental Health Podcast is a production of Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences. I'm Kevin Frankish. Take care of yourself and take care of each other.